Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 30th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, The Value of People, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. We see Paul ministering by the power of God. He says, if I boast, I'm only boasting in what Christ has done through me. He's not claiming success for any of the things. He's giving glory and the success where it's due, and that's to the Lord. The, the power from surfing does not come from the surfer. The power comes from the wave. The power comes from something else. See, the surfer can't do what he's supposed to do unless the power actually shows up and moves him forward. This is the way the gospel works. God calls us to be faithful. Just be faithful. Walk with him, follow him, know him, love him, care for people around you. When God brings waves, opportunities for us to to care for people, help them find and follow Jesus, we paddle in, try to get up, and we just be faithful. We just ride the wave. We are faithful. He is fruitful. We need to pray for ourselves that God would give us opportunities for us to be faithful with. And that through our faith that he'd be fruitful. And that when that happens, we can celebrate and rejoice in the work that the Lord has done. The passage we're looking at this morning is about people, which is incredibly fitting. Paul here is going to mention 28 people, 26 of them by name. That's a lot. At first glance, if you were to stop and just look down at this passage in Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, it sort of looks like Paul's just being respectful. You know, it's this long list of names and greet them and say hello to them and that, it, you know, this probably really isn't the heart of the letter but simply a series of greetings and Paul's just being polite or, you know, maybe he's just being cordial but there's really nothing here that's gonna challenge me spiritually. Well, that's not true. The heart of Romans is, is that people are so flawed that God had to send his son to die for them or you and I would not be saved but that God loved us so much and valued us so much and Jesus was actually glad to die for us. What that tells me is is that Jesus didn't die for ideals. He didn't die for buildings, he didn't die for land, he didn't die for a cause. He didn't die for a nation's politics. He died for people. That only people matter. And so even though our faith is personal, that sometime in your life you had this moment maybe where you alone were before the Lord and you personalized your belief and your trust in the Lord, spiritually speaking, none of us are called to be hermits and loners. We're called to live out our faith with people. You will not grow and become who God wants you to be until my faith actually affects the people that are around me. I'm given spiritual gifts to build them up, to encourage them, to challenge them to be better. And so my relationship with my parents, my spouse, my kids, they matter. The relationship that I have with the people that I, that I work with or the people that live next door to me or on my block, all of those relationships matter. The people that you go to school with, the other students, It matters. 
The people that, that are a part of uh, uh, our country that, you know, I would say, well, I'm, you know, I was born in, in America, so I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a United States citizen. It matters, but it equally matters my relationship with the foreigners. In fact, Jesus would even take it a step further. Even my response to someone that I would call my enemy, it matters. I cannot be right with God and wrong with other people. Only people matter. And so as a shepherd of the church, Paul knows that. And so what you see here in chapter 16 is him nurturing the relationships that he has there with the people that come along and are co-laboring with him to build God's church. And so what you'll see here in the first 16 verses is the sacrifices they made, the, the commitment they had, the affection they were called to with each other, it's incredibly descriptive. It's like a snapshot. And, and we're gonna walk through this together. In fact, I'm gonna ask you, if you've got a Bible there, would you take your Bible and actually open up to Romans chapter six? If you don't have one, grab one there in front of the seats in front of you, but if you follow along and track along, this is gonna make a lot more sense to you. Now, I will tell you, I'm gonna be honest with you how, just how hard this actually is. You know, when you go to Bible college and seminary, one of the first things you learn is that, like when you're studying the Bible and you're getting ready to teach it, is the first thing you do is you look for the verbs. You know, what, what does it tell me to do? What am I supposed to tell the church to do? That's not this passage. This passage, though, is descriptive, and, and, and we've got to observe it a little bit and look here and see what is going on. And so I'm going to ask you to follow along with me here. Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Chintre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may have need of, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their neck for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apantus. By the way, stop, look up just for a second. One thing I learned very early, you know, when you take languages when you're in school, in, you know, in seminary and stuff like that, when it comes to all the names like we have here, like Apantus and all those things like that, say them any way you want. <laughs> because the next guy is gonna say it differently than you. Okay, go back to verse five. Greet, all those, greet also the, house, the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apantus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are known well to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apolles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Astrobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. That would not be a good name to have. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, uh, verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena, Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyntricus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, 
Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to actually raise your hand, but if I could, for a second, if I could just, there's probably a few of you sitting here going, what in the world are we doing studying this passage? Here's the answer. The Holy Spirit put it there. There's a reason we're supposed to stop and read this. There's something to be learned by the observation of this passage that will challenge us to walk at a deeper walk with the Lord. Now here's the first thing he's gonna tell us here. Starting in verse one, he's gonna tell us about a faithful servant. Verse one says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. And so he begins here with a woman named Phoebe who was called there a servant. Now the New Testament has two words for servant. The first one is the word doulos. You may have heard that word before. It means bond servant, or actually it means a slave by choice. You may be stopping going, wait a minute, who would ever choose to be a slave by choice. Well, actually, it happened quite a lot back in those days. If you had a debt, maybe in a family debt that needed to be paid off, you would literally put yourself into that role for a period of time until that debt was paid. But that's not the word here that Paul uses for servant. The word he uses for servant here is the word diakonos. It's where we get the words deacon or deaconess. Paul calls Phoebe a deaconess which probably means she had a position of responsibility within her church. Paul here considers her a faithful servant, not just in her home church, but to the larger church as well, and even to Paul personally. He recognizes the fact that that she's important. In fact, it's important to understand that she's the first one even mentioned here. Of all these different people, she gets mentioned first. She served lots of people. And so he stops and he writes here and he's requesting that whatever she asks for, you would give it to her. In fact, what's so interesting is that word whatever there in Greek is the Greek word pragma. It's where we get pragmatic. In other words, I don't care what she asks for. I'm not gonna give you a list. Just give it to her, will you? She deserves it. Let me give you an example of how faithful she really is. Historically, Phoebe is the one that was actually given the honor and the responsibility of delivering the book of Romans, the book that we read from and study from the last 16 months here, to the church in Rome. Now that may not sound like a big deal to you, but it actually is huge. Romans is actually considered the most important theological work of God that God's given to the church. And so this is a huge responsibility and a huge honor. And there were not multiple copies. It wasn't like they took the writings that Paul wrote down and took them down to Office Max and said, hey, copy a couple of these off just in case we lose one or we get, you know, like people come and try to steal the stuff. You didn't do that. You couldn't like fax it and send it ahead. This was done by hand and it was meant to be delivered by hand. And so this is a huge responsibility that would be given. And so Paul writes to the Roman believers here to receive her and to honor her with an honor worthy of a saint. Now, you get to verses three and four, and now he's gonna mention a really faithful couple. Verse three, he says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Prisca, and Aquila are a wife and husband. Now I will tell you that first of all, back in those days, it was usually always the opposite way listed. But not here. 
We'll get to that just in a, in a second here. Prisca is actually the short version of Priscilla. Like, it would be like this. Like, if your name was actually Robert, and no one called you Robert, but everybody called you Rob, okay, that was Prisca for Priscilla. Now, his, by the way, she is a, a Gentile, just to let you know, and a Roman citizen. But they are considered a Jewish couple because Aquila is Jewish. Now, historically, the emperor at that time, Claudius, uh, was not very kind to the Jews that were in Rome at that time, and so he actually expelled them all from Rome for a period of time. As a result, they, the, the couple here becomes tent makers, which is actually how they met Paul in Corinth. Tent making was how Paul sort of paid his way along too as he was going and taking the gospel. Paul actually stayed with them for a while and later on when, when they went to Ephesus, he went with them and then ultimately they returned back to Rome. This couple, you know, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila are an amazing couple. They're mentioned six different times in the Bible. Three times in the book of Acts, once in 1 Corinthians, once in 2 Timothy, and then here in Romans. And what's interesting is, four of those six times, Priscilla is mentioned first. Now, there's two possibilities here that I could find, you know, from reading all the, the biblical historical stuff here. And that is, one is, some people think that she was from a sort of a high-ranking, maybe even, you know, connected into the royal family somehow. And so maybe she was listed first because they were simply, you know, she was a big deal. But more believe that maybe it's simply because she was the bolder of the two. She was the one that was more verbal. She spoke out more, more quickly. What we do know for sure is they were committed to Jesus and to the gospel to the point that in verse four, Paul says, they risked their necks for me. Now, let me show you something really cool. I want you to keep your fingers here in Romans, and I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 18 for a minute. Acts chapter 18. Now, while you're doing that, let me kind of tell you a cool story about them. While they were in Ephesus, they meet this young preacher named Apollos. Okay? Now, Apollos was considered to be sort of the best speaker of the day, the most eloquent speaker there was, and, and to the point that a lot of people liked Paulus. You know, when, when, when Paul wrote the book, to, you know, this letter to the Corinthians, he even wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter three, well, some of you say you're of Paul, and then others of you say you're of Apollos. In other words, that people were aligning themselves with one teacher or another, which, by the way, isn't a good idea. It's one of the, you know, we have, we have three teachers in our regular rotation. We're not into, like, having one person be it, and that's just not gonna work for us. We think that the issue for us is, and you hear it every Sunday here, is we're supposed to be a church that worships the Lord and part of our worship is to get into God's word. And that's what we do. It doesn't matter who delivers it. It matters the fact that I'm in God's word and we're faithful to it. That's what matters. He says, so some people would come along and they'd say, well, I'm of Paul. And other ones say, well, I'm of Apollos. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 there and he stops and he says, look, you're, you're missing the point. Some plant, some water, but it's only God who causes the growth. So it doesn't matter who does this. Okay, so now, Acts chapter 18. Verse one, he says, for after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, the native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. See, 
There's proof that I didn't just make this stuff up right there. Okay, here we go. Verse two, or verse three. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, and they were tent makers by trade. Now drop down to verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately." Now, that is a a powerful statement because basically what you're finding out about this couple is not only were they really committed to the Lord and serving and doing all these other things and they take in Paul, they minister to him, but even when, you know, Apollos comes along, they have the wherewithal theologically to pull him aside and, and let me help you understand this better, brother. They were amazing. Now, the third thing you see here in verses five through 15 is a faithful church. He starts off in verse five and he mentions Apantus. He was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now when you, you know, think about Asia, don't think in this case like, like China or, or, or Japan or anything like that. Don't think that. Asia in this case would have been Asia Minor, which means that this place would have been Turkey. Verse six, he mentions Mary. He says that Mary worked hard. That, that, that term there, that Greek word there for, that, for worked hard is the Greek word kapio, which means he, she toiled. It's the idea that she did the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. If you want to know what that meant, let me give you an example. We're going to take communion today, so let me tell, I'll, I'll use a quick communion story. When Jesus took all of his disciples the night before he was crucified, they went up and they found a room that was on the second floor. Remember the story here? So they go and they find this place. They all go in and the food has been there. It's all been prepared. And there was a moment of awkwardness there with the disciples. The reason why it was awkward is because who was going to be the lowest servant in the house and watch everybody's feet? Remember what Jesus does? Wraps a towel around his waist, bends down and begins to walk. And they're just, they're like, oh no, Lord, you can't do no, stop. Well, there's a real important practical reason why you know, someone would toil in a job like that. You know, if you walked around all day long in the grimy sleets of, of, of Jerusalem where animals defecated on the, you know, there's dirt there and they, some of them were killed and cleaned before they would bring them in to cook them and so there's blood all over the place, your feet would be totally gross. And when you came into somebody's house, they didn't want you to come in and sit next to them for dinner and actually it would be like two people down because they would lay down you know, and sort of lay on one pillow and eat, which meant my feet would be down, like by two persons down's head. You do not want that by you when you're eating. So when someone came to your house, sort of the lowest servant in the house would actually get down and wash your feet so that they could actually enjoy a meal there together. That's what Mary is here. She is the one who toils. She is the one who does the stuff that no one else wants to do. Verse seven, he mentions Andronicus and Junia, the husband and wife team, and he mentions four things about him. First of all, he says, they're my kinsmen. In other words, they're Jewish. Then he says, they were my fellow prisoners. So they were actually put in prison for preaching the gospel. 
Then it says they're well-known to the apostles. In other words, this had to be an early group of servants, people that had sort of been right on the front end of people coming to the Lord there in Jesus because after that, the apostles began to start spreading out. It says they were in Christ before me, which tells me, again, combined with the other one there, that it's very likely that when, when Peter came along, and remember on Pentecost, Pentecost simply means 50 days. It would have been, you know, the resurrection day, you know, and then, and then 49 days after this would be Pentecost. He got up at Pentecost and preached the gospel. And remember, people heard that in their native language, and 3,000 people responded to the gospel message. It's highly likely that they're there. If not, it would have been soon afterwards. Verse eight, he mentions uh, Apliatus. Greet Apliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Apliatus was actually a common slave name. Historically, we know that he was a slave within Caesar's household, which you know, Paul mentions in Philippians chapter four. It's interesting because if you were to go to Rome and go to the catacombs and you go down into the catacombs, there's a grave marker down there to Ampliatus. It's not a simple one. It's very elaborate, very decorated, and most biblical archaeologists think this has got to be the impliatus that they're talking about, that Paul's writing to there, because they made a big deal out of a slave name. You know, what's interesting is, in Roman society, a free man or woman always had two to three names. And so you would think, so somebody would you'd say, well, this is uh, Marcus Aurelius or Marcus Aurelius Augustus. That's how you knew that they were someone of of, of importance. But a slave was only allowed one name. Just look, glance back for a minute. How many people have you seen here with two or three names? None. None. You know why? Even though we are free in Christ, we are not free of Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, you and I were bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, he says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Keep going here. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul here in verse nine mentions Urbanus, our fellow servant, and Stachys, the beloved, both servants in ministry there. In verse 10, he mentions Apelles. Paul says he's approved in Christ. That idea of being approved is the idea that somehow or other he had suffered, he'd been tested, and he'd come out the other side and honored God all the way through it. Incredible stuff. Now, what's really interesting is, I'm gonna gonna clue you into a little something here. You can see something interesting here. It mentions here that they belong to the household of Astrubulus. That is sort of an insider's way of looking and saying that was a house church. They're part of that family. Verse 11, he mentions another one of his kinsmen, Herodian, and he's in the, house, the household of Narcissus. So there's another house church. Now here's what's so interesting about those things. Neither Astrubulus or Narcissus believed Neither one of them believed. And yet, God grew a house church there. God works in mysterious ways. 
Verse 12, Paul mentions three female servants here, Tryphema, Tryphosa, and Persis, which just means the Persian woman. Drop down to verse 13. He said, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. So he says, Rufus is chosen in the Lord, and then he mentions his mother, and then Paul literally comes out and he says, she has been a mother to me. I gotta be honest with you, that's a great Uh, that's a great blessing there and a a real honoring thing to say that this woman had had played the part of someone that would come along in his life and encourage him and and provide maybe a hot meal when he really needed it and and, and gave him wisdom and, and advice on different things and she was sort of just there. He mentions here that Rufus is called the chosen the term here, um, normally when we think of chosen, we think we relay that back to like election, you know, where it says you were chosen before the foundation of the world. That's not what this particular term means. This term here means choice or precious one. In fact, do you know who Rufus is? If you have a Bible, keep your finger here in Romans, and I want you to go back to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, and I want you to look at verse 21. He says this, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. That's a, an amazingly cool picture. The guy that they grabbed to carry Jesus' cross. Now Paul writes, man, your mom, Amazing. And you, you're the chosen man. You're the precious one. What, what dad Simon was to pass those things on to his children. Look at verses 14 and 15. He's gonna give us multiple people here that are part of two different house churches. Verse 14, greet Asyncritus and Philegon and Hermes and Petrobus and Hermas and the brothers who are with them. So there's a house church. Verse 15, greet Philogus and Julia and Nerus and her sister and Olympus and all the saints that are with them. Two more house churches. By the way, the second house church there was read historically, was led by that, a, a slave named Nerus there who was a slave in Caesar's own household. Now think about that. If you know history, you'll know that some people in Caesar's own household came to the Lord. So this guy was pretty impressive as far as serving the Lord. Verse 16, Paul writes and he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And he's talking about a level of affection that we're supposed to have within the church. You know, the kissing thing actually was, was sort of cultural for that place. I mean, um, in some places you can go to today, it's still very cultural that someone would grab you and kiss you maybe on, on both sides of the key. It's not really an American thing, you know, we're not really cut like that. For us, you know, we think about affection being, you know, a good, strong handshake or, you know, maybe a two-handed handshake or, or a hug or, you know, um, and I started thinking about this this week, you know, what is it, how do we show affection? And one of the next things maybe is maybe to stop and talk to somebody and while we're talking to them, not pull your phone out. Maybe there's a sense that you're good enough that I'll wait. You're important enough that let me just focus on you for a minute. Focus and time. So lots of names, lots of backstories. Let me give you four observations here 
that I have. The first one is this. The church was born, it existed, it grew, and it multiplied in house churches. Life happened there. Growth happened there. Discipleship happened there. People were cared for. When they were sick, someone was there. When they were hurting, someone was there. You didn't have to call an office and try to get somebody in you know, from over here. There was this group of people that knew everything about what was going on in your life, and they were walking with you through this. Something wonderful about that. He mentions five house churches in this passage alone. Why house churches? Well, for one reason, why it was safe. Safety was really an issue. You know, at that time, you know, political leaders and even some of the religious leaders at the time hated, you know, those that followed Christ. And so, you know, a gathering was almost impossible to do. You couldn't do that. By the way, this is the way a lot of churches in the world still exist. China, you know, has... You know, most people consider it to be the largest church in the world right now. It's somewhere between, you know, 160, maybe even up to 180, you know, million believers, not one church building. All house churches. All done with discipleship. All done with somebody taking a chance and going, would you like to come to a meeting that I'm having? knowing that that person could turn you in. That's the way it happens in the Middle East. That's the way it happens in North Africa. You know, Highlands has a missionary in North Africa that runs a sports ministry. Please don't be fooled by that, okay? Sports ministry? You know what he does? He goes in and he disciples the leaders and the elders as they lead the churches that are there in houses. That's what they're doing. House churches have always been around. Another reason why house churches matter was they had no assets. You know, the church there in Rome, like every other church in the first century, in fact, for centuries there, had no land, no building, no money. Nothing. At times, yes, they could gather if they all came together and maybe went to the catacombs, but if you've been to the catacombs, it's not big, and it's very dark, and it's kind of musty, and, and it's not the kind of place you wanted to have a full-on meeting. In fact, you watch and, and you see Paul sees that his role is to go from town to town to town. Every place he goes, he builds and teaches until he can leave there uh, an elder that's in charge of those house churches and keep the process going. You know, there's no clear example. In fact, it's so interesting is until mid-third century that the church ever had a place to gather as a whole church. That's a long time. And so churches were dependent upon people within the church that said, you can use my house. We'll use mine. We'll gather together in my house. And so churches at that point got started calling like the, the house of God or church house. You say, well, what does that mean for me? I'll tell you what it means for you. Our equivalent of a group is a lot like what a house church is. Folks, you need to be in a group. Someone needs to know what's going on in your life and when you're, in hurt, when you're hurting and when you're, when you're in need. And someone needs to know that. 
people need to be able to come alongside of you and walk with you and, and discipleship needs to take place so that when a valley hits, you can go through it together with other people that can walk with you. The second observation is this, the church was very diverse. The church is supposed to be a little bit of heaven on earth. It's supposed to be full of people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And in this passage, you see that. You see males and females, slaves and freemen, Jews and Gentiles, the well-to-do and the absolute poor, all together. Did that mean that they had some social issues? Of course it meant they had social issues. I mean, we've been 16 months in the book of Romans. Do you remember what we talked about in Romans 14 and 15? All the issues that were there in the church, you know, when they talked about, well, I've got this freedom, and no, you shouldn't exercise that freedom. And it was license and legalism, and, and you can drink this or celebrate on this day, or you can do whatever you want. It was all an issue. It wasn't an issue in the church because they were all exactly alike. It was an issue in the church because the church was not, I mean, it was totally segregated. Or excuse me, desegregated. There weren't Gentile-only home churches or Jewish-only home churches. They were all mixed up. And you know what that led to? Tension. And that's a good thing because tension creates growth. The challenge is to learn, to grow, to hear your heart, to understand why, to jump back into the scriptures and go, why? What, what, is, well, what does God's word say on that? Third thing here is the importance of relationships. And again, let me say it again, it's imperative that you connect into a group. But I wanna challenge you to do something a little bit differently. Personally, I was thinking about this, and and all week long I was thinking, you know what I'm gonna do? I think I'm gonna make a list of people that I'm really thankful for, that I've done some ministry things, and then I'm gonna gonna share them on, on Sunday. And then it occurred to me, okay, but if you do that, you're liable to forget one person that's gonna go, oh! And so I decided not to. But I am gonna challenge you to do it. I'm gonna challenge you to take some time and I want you to make a list of the people who have played a part in your life. People who have challenged you, have walked with you, have been there, have helped you become who God wants you to be. And go up to them and tell them. Encourage them Build them up, challenge them and encourage them to keep going, keep serving, you know, keep making disciples, keep giving to the cause. The fourth thing is this. We started off with this. Only people matter. You know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, around here at least, we talk a lot about our mission and our vision. And I wanna be really clear about this. People do not get in the way of mission. There is no mission without people. Jesus did not die for a cause. He didn't die for a building. He didn't die for organizations. He didn't die for a political system. He died for people. And you and I are called to live out our faith among people. This morning we're gonna be taking communion. The beauty of taking communion is is that when Paul writes about communion, he says, you know, make sure that you examine your life 
and all these different areas of your life and then take. So there's an expectation that I will stop and make sure, God, am I right between you and I and then take it? That's what's gonna happen this morning. Listen to what he stops and he says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27. Paul writes, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the, expe- you know, the, the, the expectation here is you will stop, spend some moments with the Lord and make sure your heart is right before him and then we'll take this together. And so I'm gonna challenge you to do that. If you did not grab, you know, one of these little things right here that has the communion stuff, I'd ask you just simply to slip your hand up and we've got some people that have got some and they'll get one to you. There's no excuse for you not to be able to do that, okay? But I'm gonna ask you to do some business right now with the Lord. What is it that God is saying to you? Do you take a moment with the Lord? Paul writes, and he says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. A little bit later in the evening, verse 25 tells us, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Pray with me. Father, I'm praying that you and the sacrifice that you made allowing your son to come and die for us that would move us to not only just allow you to work in us, to be open to doing whatever you want, but we would embrace the work of the Spirit in our lives to become your men and women, to make a difference, to make a dent for the kingdom of Christ. Move inside of us, God, in a very powerful way, Lord. I want to ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to know there's gonna be a group of people that are gonna be down here just available to pray with you. They would love to be. They consider it a privilege. It's their ministry. If you just need someone to talk to, someone to pray with you, please come down for that. They'd love to to be there for you. I just wanna challenge you with two things. Who would be on your list? Who's on your list to encourage and to thank because of the role that they've played in your life?
The second thing is, if Paul were to write one more time about the people that serve within this church, what would he say about you? Because I think we want to be within that group of people that when their name was read, there were tears of joy that their life mattered. Make a dent with your life for the kingdom of God. God bless you. Love you all.